Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. If you have your Bible, let's go to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 16 uh, through 17. Ephesians, the New Testament, chapter 5, verses 16 through 17. And I'm going to read a verse that is very intriguing to me. In fact, the whole Bible is intriguing to me, but this verse is amazing. Ephesians chapter 5, 16 through 17. And this is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. With all praying for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in bonds, that it, I might make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. A very strange phrase. Three words, redeeming the time. And I'm going to be talking about redeeming your detours. Redeeming your detours. We'll explain that in just a moment. Redeeming in this passage is the Greek word ex agrazo. And that word means to buy back something or to rescue something. And oddly enough, it's used mostly about the redemption we have in Christ. We were a slave in a slave market, and he purchased us as a slave to free us to serve him. That's how this word is commonly used. And for Paul to use this ex agrazo, which is predominantly a term used for redemption and the redeeming of our soul in relationship to redeeming of time is a little bit odd and a little bit unique. I believe that what Paul is dealing with here with the people is what I'm about to tell you, that people in their lifetime will get off track. And people in their lifetime will take a detour thinking that that might have been the thing to do and the direction to go. And what happens in the process is it places them out of the purpose of God. It can actually throw them out of God's will and it can disrupt their destiny. Now, there's five questions in 40 years of traveling that I find out that people occasionally have. And and, and here they are. Did I marry the wrong person? Don't say nothing. Don't, don't, amen, hallelujah, don't say nothing. But did I, marry, did I marry the wrong person? Did I accept the wrong job? Things aren't going well. I'm not getting along with the people here. I don't even like it here. Did I accept the wrong job? Am I living in the wrong community? There are people who feel like if I could move to another part of town or city, things would go well for me. So am I, am I living in the right area? Did, have I allowed the wrong people to influence me in my life? That's a question a lot of people could ask themselves. Did I invest my money properly? These are the five questions most people, even believers, believe it or not, have concerning the will of God for their life or are they in the will of God? See, I believe everybody here who's a believer, who's a disciple of Jesus Christ, I believe that your one priority is, am I following God's purpose that he has for me in my life? Because when you find God's will, Paul will tell you, Job will tell you, Job was in the will of God, yet he lost everything he had. But because he was in God's will, he got it back double at the end. Paul will tell you that just because I am in God's will does not mean everything is going to go great and everything is going to go smooth. Paul was in God's will without a doubt, but in 2 Corinthians 11, he lists 22 horrible things that he had to go through for the sake of the gospel. Yet in every instance... God pulled him out. 
They were after him in Damascus. He escaped in a basket. You will discover that in one city he's jailed and an angel of God sends an earthquake and releases him. On another occasion, he is shipwrecked and they want to kill all the slaves on the boat, but he escapes. He gets bitten by a viper that should have killed him. He survives. I mean, I can take you to Paul's life and show you, I think if you were at Paul's tombstone and you could sum up his life, In the book of Acts, it would say this, hindered but never defeated. So, in the process of our life, we are going to have occasional detours. One of the things I discovered is this, that there are four different roads that you can choose from. Number one is the road that you prepare, meaning you make all your own choices and you are your own person. Trust me, that will get you in trouble. Number two, there is the road that God has prepared. That we would call that the path of God or the will of God for your life. The third road that people can choose is the road that others choose for them. They're always allowing other people to make decisions on their behalf. Once again, quite dangerous because the person's motive may not be right and their purpose for your involvement might not be right. Number four is the adversary's road. There is a road that the adversary prepares for people that if they travel down that road, it leads to death, to eternal death, physical death, spiritual death, whatever example you want to give. Now, one of the things that you will discover is that it's very easy to detour when you have the wrong kind of people in your life. Now, I'm going to give you a very carnal, fleshly example of this, but it's an example that everybody in this room will be able to relate to. When I was a young minister in the state of Virginia, I started preaching when I was 16 years of age. By the time I was 17, we were preaching revivals. By the time I was 18, I was going full-time. God had blessed us to have revivals that were breaking records, meaning I would go to a little rural town, and the crowds would get so big that sometimes the policemen were directing traffic in a town. People were showing up with crowds of sometimes 500, which was big back then, to 1,000 to 1,500 people. In one area in Virginia... An entire school showed up of 450 kids from the public school, and I laid hands on every one of them under the anointing, and God decked them out under the power of God. 450 public high school kids. Come on, somebody. You ought to give God a praise for that. It did not take me long being a single preacher to realize that there were mothers and grandmothers who desired for their daughters and granddaughters to marry a preacher. I got invited to homes, and I knew when I sat down at the table and a girl my age sat down that the motive for the meal was totally not not what it should be. And I would be nice, and I would thank the people, I would eat the meal, and I would get out. I even had mothers or grandmothers to say, oh, this is my daughter or granddaughter, and I'd finish eating and say, would y'all like to go in the living room and talk? No. I have to go pray and preach tonight. So I began to see that. I also discovered, and look, I was not Sylvester Stallone. I was not the Italian stallion, okay? If you saw my early pictures, you would agree. They pulled one of my early pictures out, and my, all my secretaries said, how did anybody even go out with you? I said, they didn't. <laughs> and that's a true story. But occasionally, we would have state camp meetings in which all the preachers would come together with all the churches from Virginia, and there'd be thousands of people. Guess then who wanted to hang out with you? Talk to me, somebody. 
the cutest girl in the state that everybody wanted to date and be seen around, decides to hang around me. Well, I was a little naive in thinking, wow, this is pretty cool. And then when the camp meeting was over after being seen around you and every, all the kids talking, they would dump you like a hot potato. I caught on to that tactic real quick. And at one time I dated a girl and I really thought I would marry this girl. I thought I was in love with her and I was going to marry her. Absolutely not the will of God. And I broke up with her and it would be a month later in a revival in Alabama after I broke up with this girl after dating her two years thinking I was going to marry her. I then was standing on a platform and all the young people are worshiping God. I've got my mind on God and I hear the Lord say, that girl right there, that's the girl you're going to marry. And I'm getting ready to preach in about 10 minutes. And I said, I bind you devil in the name of Jesus. Trying to distract my mind from the word of God. And I'm just rebuking the enemy. And then I got real quiet. And this really happened as I'm saying it to you. And all of a sudden, the thought that came in my head went from my head into my spirit. It took the drop. And I heard the Lord say again, you broke up with that other girl because that's the girl I want you to marry. Look, I didn't, I didn't even hardly know her. I'd seen her in church, didn't know her name, never went out with her. And, uh, and, and, I, and I said, wow. And I felt it go into my heart. I didn't even know the girl. Now, you don't do this. Can I give you some advice? If you really feel like the Lord told you that, you do not run from the platform and say, I want to tell you something. I got a revelation from God. God just told me I'm going to marry you. I'm going to marry you. May I advise you, just shut up. Don't say nothing. Because you got to try the spirits to see if they are from God. Seriously. And so I, 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 when, when God told me that the second time, I knew the voice of the Lord. And I started laughing to myself. Well, the pastor calls for prayer. I did the Bible thing. The Bible said, watch as well as pray. So I closed one eye to pray and kept one eye open to look. And this, I'm telling it as it happened. And she was on the end. It happened to be standing partially out there. I can still tell you what she had on. She had a black skirt with a black uh, a jacket with a white blouse that had frilly going down the front and all over the neck and had frilly sleeves. She had long brunette hair that went right back down, halfway down her back. And she wasn't wearing any makeup because in the early days of Pentecost, you were sanctified if you didn't wear any. Oh, <laughs> But honestly, she's, she was cute without it and still is. She don't have to wear it today. She's got Indian skin. And so I'm just looking at her, and th- I'm telling you, me and God are having a little moment. How many of you ever had a God moment, just a real brief God moment? And I wanted to look at her because if God tells me I'm going to marry her, I want to see what I'm about to get. <laughs> and I'm talking head to toe. Talk to me, fellas. I want some fellas to help me preach this morning. But the odd thing was we would go out to eat after church every night and I told nobody anything and there would always be an empty seat beside me, always. And guess who ended up sitting there? Her name was Pam. Pam ended up sitting beside me for two and a half weeks during a revival. And when I left there, I knew I was in love with her. We've been married now for 35 years. (laughs) Have two wonderful children. Now, the reason I'm saying that to you is because I could count three times in my life that I would have been detoured into marrying someone else. Not that they were bad people. Not that they weren't good girls. Probably, probably I could have actually gotten along with any of them 
if I would have chosen to go that direction. But I want to give you a word about detours. Paul in the book of Romans talks about the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. He talks about the good, the acceptable, and perfect. Now, what is good? Let's talk about marriage. Good is, I'm a believer, they're a believer, we're both saved, we really care about each other. Okay, God can permit that. That's a good thing. What is acceptable? Acceptable is when God says, or you say, I'm choosing this after I prayed. I feel like this is the right thing. Now, might not be the best thing. Might not get you all the things God would have for you, but it's going to be acceptable in the sight of God because you're doing it with the right motive. You're doing it with the right heart. You're doing it with a pure spirit. You have no ulterior motive with it. You're doing it for the glory of God. So God says, you know what? I'll go ahead and accept that. I'll go ahead and let that be because it's an acceptable thing. But then there is the good. There is the acceptable. Is anybody listening? And then there is the perfect will of God. Now, I want to say again, the perfect will of God will fulfill your heart and fulfill your spirit. It will not always be easy. In my entire ministry, I have had things happen that were conflicts. I have been misunderstood in my preaching. I've had people say things about me that were not not even half truth, not even 0.1% truth. It was totally, completely fabricated. So I've been through all of that. So it does not mean that if I'm in God's will, all the bank account will be full. All my pay raises are going to come over the years. I'm going to drive the nicest car of my dreams and live in the greatest house. Mother Teresa was in the perfect will of God working in the worst part of India among the poorest of the poor, taking care of orphans. So if you'd have said to her, How do you like India? I'm sure she loved the people. Absolutely. But the culture there and the poverty there and at times the open sewage and the lack of food and all the problems that come with the third world country she had to deal with. But yet she was in the perfect will of God. So let me let me give you an example very quickly of a man that detoured. And let me tell you what happened to him when he detoured. In the book of Luke chapter 10, there's a story, verse 30, of something called the Good Samaritan. And it's not just a story of a good Samaritan. It's a story of a man that got himself in a mess. It says in Luke, and Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem. Somebody say down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves and which stripped him of his remnant. That means his clothes, which wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now notice they didn't kill him. They only left him half dead. Now, here's the point that I want to make. Let's talk about Jerusalem and Jericho. Jerusalem is a religious city. It is a place of the prophets, the priests, and the kings. It is the place of worshiping God. It is the place of sacrifice. It is the place of the Levitical choir blowing 120 trumpets. We would say today that it is a picture of the local congregation. The local congregation where people gather together, where the worship takes place, where the singers are singing, where there's joy when you come through the gates. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart and will enter his courts with praise. So this man decides to leave the house of God, to leave the sacred city and to watch the phrase, 
go down to Jericho. That's a literal term. Jerusalem is 2,500 feet in elevation. Jericho is 1,300 feet below sea level. So he literally is going down to Jericho. Now, the difference between Jerusalem and Jericho is very significant. Jericho is a city where there is a trade route that caravans are constantly coming by. Jericho in the book of Joshua tells us that a prostitute by the name of Rahab was there. So there was prostitution in the city of Jericho. There was different forms of immorality in the city of Jericho. In Jericho, it was all about money. It was all about business. We would say Jericho is a picture of a very seductive world system. So this man decides to leave what we call the presence of God. Are you following me with what I'm saying? He decides, I'm tired of church. I'm t- I want to go and try something different. I want to expand my wings. I'm tired of just having to go through the form and the routine and worship. So let me go down to Jericho. So in, in, in any, any time, watch this, that you leave the presence of God, you're always going down. So he left Jerusalem, and by leaving the presence, he went down. And as he's going down, he has in his mind where he's going to go, what he's going to do. But on his way down, somebody say, on his way down... He got involved with the wrong crowd. Now, these thieves would hide in caves and rocks, and none of them had a banner that said, we are robbers, beware. He did not know what he was about to enter into. So as he travels downward away from the presence of God, and he's headed toward the city of Jericho that represents a world system, he is suddenly attacked by something he did not expect. He encounters a battle he had no clue he was going to have to deal with. He got involved with the wrong crowd who not only took him down, but they abused him and they used him. They took his money from him. He became nothing more than just an object that they can use for their own personal benefit. And so when they got through working him over, the Bible said he fell among thieves and he fell among robbers. Got with the wrong people and the wrong crowd on his way down to Jericho. And it says that they did several things. They took all of his money from him and the Bible said that they stripped him of his remnant or his garment. Now your clothes are your covering. And spiritually speaking, when you stay in the house of God, when you attend a congregation, there is a supernatural invisible covering that you have. It's like Noah being in the ark. As long as he stayed in the ark, he was protected from the storm. It's like Rahab. They said to her, stay in your house under that red thread in your window. And when destruction comes and the walls fall, you're going to be all right. Do you realize that Rahab's house was on the wall and the Bible said the walls fell, but Rahab's house did not collapse when the destruction came because she was under a red thread that represents the redemptive covenant that would later come through the Lord Jesus Christ. So as long as Rahab stayed in the house with her family, when the destruction was all around her, there was a supernatural protection that had been given to her. So Noah had to stay in the ark. Rahab had to stay in the house. The picture I give you is being loyal and being faithful. If we 
free chapel is your home. You are to be faithful to the free chapel. If free chapel is where you're fed, you're to be faithful to the house. If free chapel is where your children are ministered to, don't be running away. Don't be going away. Don't be going away from the presence of God and choose a place called Jericho that is fleshly and carnal and filled with thieves and robbers and evil things. Because if you choose Jericho over Jerusalem, you'll fall by the wayside. So they stripped him of his covering. Your church, the Holy Spirit that is in the church, provides you a protective covering. It provides you ministers that guard your soul, ministers that pray for you when you get down, ministers that pray for you and people that pray for you when you're oppressed and depressed. So the man fell at Jericho. Now, you know something? When if you, How many have ever seen vultures circling? Raise your hands. I know you have here in California. Well, I've seen vultures circling. One day I'm driving down the road and I see a whole bunch of vultures and they are circling. And I thought, oh no, something must be dead. And the thought came to me, oh no, it ain't dead yet. Because as long as the vultures are circling, they see something wounded, my God, or they see something in the process of dying, that that thing is only dead when the vultures land on the ground and begin to pick apart that thing which is wounded or dying. Because can I tell you something? You say, man, Brother Stone, I feel like I'm so low that the vultures are circling. I got good news for you. You ain't dead yet. Because the Bible said that they left the man half dead. You didn't hear me. The Bible said they left the man half dead. Now, is the cup half empty or is the cup half full? Is the man half alive or is the man half dead? Didn't matter because the vultures were circling while the man is half dead, but he's not dead yet. And all of a sudden he looks, he looks and he's wounded and he can't get up on his own. He can't help himself. But three people come by. Look out. I'm about to preach right here. First of all, the Bible says that a priest came by from the temple. I, I got to ask you a question. What was a preacher doing going down to Jericho? Oh, help me, Jesus. It says, that, it says that a priest came by. And then it says the priest walked away from the man. Then it said a Levite came by. And it says the Levite walked away from the man. And then it says a Samaritan came by. And the Samaritan is the man that stopped. Let me talk to you for a minute about what these three people represent. The priest in Jerusalem, if you saw him, represented organized religion. And I want you to understand that when the the man is wounded by the world and the thieves have beat him up and taken what he's got and he's stripped of his garment that organized religion couldn't help him out lord jesus help me People will, people are disappointed in organized religion because often organized religion is concerned only about itself. How does it provide for itself? How does it keep itself going? How does it protect itself? So organized religion didn't help him. Look out because here comes man number two. And man number two is a Levite. Now the Levite was obedient to the law. So the Levite represents the law. Can I tell you that when you're stripped, wounded, blind, 
bound, going round and round, broke, busted, and disgusted. There's nothing the law can do to pull you out of the mess that you've got yourself into. He could stand over that man and said, Yea, I say unto thee, hast thou not read the Torah that says unto thee, Thou shalt not go down to Jericho. What are you doing, crazy man? And I see people all the time when somebody's messing up, when somebody's gone through something, they'll make a smart aleck remark like, Well, they made their bed, now they got to sleep in it. Or, you know, they made their choices, now they've got to deal with it. I got a word for you. Quit acting like a priest and quit acting like a Levite. Because the priest and the Levite looked at this man who had fallen from the presence of God, who had gone down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and they made an excuse and said, you know what, I'm sorry, but I can't help you. But all of a sudden, do you mind if I preach and tell you about a Samaritan? A Samaritan. Who was a Samaritan? A Samaritan was literally a half-breed. They were half-Gentile, and they were half-Jew, and they had a real issue. The Gentiles didn't like them because they were part Jew. The Jews didn't definitely didn't like them because they were part Gentile. There was so much animosity that on one occasion, if you read the Bible, when Jesus wants to cut through Samaria and we've been there, it's a shortcut to Jerusalem from the Galilee. They would not let him pass by when they found out he was a Jew. Have you read in the Bible where James and John said, let us go up to Samaria and call fire from God out of heaven on these people. And Jesus said, you don't know what manner of spirit you're of. You see, a Samaritan was somebody that knew what it was to feel rejected. I'm going to preach right here. The Samaritan was somebody from an ethnic group that knew what it was not to feel accepted by the people around them. To walk into a situation where they were uncomfortable. They knew they were not welcomed in Jerusalem and certain cities. They held out among their own ethnic group. But may I tell you when somebody who knew what it felt like to be wounded when somebody that knew what it felt like to be rejected came down on the Jericho road and saw another man that was laying in the ground who'd been beat up and had been wounded and had already been rejected by religion. A Samaritan said, come here. And he wrapped his arms around the man. And the Bible said he took a little bit of oil and began to wash out those bruises and wash off the blood. And then he took the wine and began to pour it in. Wine is acidic. And the acid was going to cause any kind of bacteria to die on that man's body and then he puts him on his own donkey and takes him on down to an inn and he tells the man I'll be back in a bit. Give him a room to stay in. I'll pay the bill and any money that you need later I'll take care of it. I've come by to tell somebody that somebody's already been where you've been. I want you to know that if you've fallen somebody fell long before you did. There was a Samson before you ever fell. There was a David before you ever fell. There was a Noah and a Lot before before you ever fail. And what you got to understand is this. You might have tried religion and it did it failed you. You might have found a few Christian friends and they didn't understand you. But there is somebody that's a friend according to Proverbs that sticks closer than a brother. And let me talk to you about him. There is somebody called Jesus. And here's what the Bible says about him. We have a high priest who is touched by the feeling of our infirmities. One of the 
common words for infirmities is asthenia in Greek, and it means weaknesses. And it doesn't just mean physical weaknesses like a physical infirmity. It means moral weaknesses. It means mental weaknesses. It means spiritual weaknesses. It just means when you are totally weak, we have somebody who's been touched by the feeling of our infirmity. Now the Bible says he was tempted in all points as you and I yet without sin. I like the fact that don't just say, and Jesus was tempted, but he didn't sin. May I remind you of two words, all points. Now, in case you don't know what all points means, let me explain it to you. It means that any sin that anybody ever in the planet has ever been tempted to do, believe this or not, I'm going to blow your mind. The Bible says Jesus, when he was in a fleshly body, had the opportunity to do it, had the temptation to do it, but was able to overcome the power of temptation not to yield and to resist. I'm going to say it to you this way. Physically, Jesus could sin, but spiritually, he couldn't. Physically, he could do anything anybody in this building could do, but by the power of the Holy Ghost that was in him, he would not do it. Physically, yes, and spiritually, no, but somebody said, why would God send his son to earth? Why would he allow his son to suffer? Let me tell you, Isaiah 53, this is Jesus. This is a messianic prophecy. The Bible says that he was a man of sorrow. It's he was a man acquainted with grief. The Bible says, watch this, he was despised and rejected of men. The Bible said he was afflicted. If you look at Isaiah 53, I can show you that Jesus had physical attacks, physical attacks, emotional and mental attacks, and even spiritually he was made a sin offering for you and I. Why did God send Jesus? God, I feel the Holy Ghost messing with me right now. The reason he sent Jesus is so one day you could say, Jesus, I'm struggling with this. And the high priest would say, well, I understand what you're going through. Jesus, everybody at my school rejects me because I'm a believer. Oh, help me God. And Jesus will say, yeah, I remember when a whole crowd turned on me and said, crucify him. Can I tell you when you were lose somebody and they died, Jesus lost Lazarus. Yes, he knew he would raise him from the dead, but he still stood at a graveyard. And those two verses in the Bible, the shortest verse says, Jesus wept. He knew what it was to have somebody that he lost, that he grieved over. So when you lose somebody and you're at the funeral saying, I don't understand why I'll... Hey, let me tell you something. Not only did Jesus lose Lazarus, but brought him back. Jesus lost John the Baptist who was beheaded and never got him back. He lost Stephen that was stoned and never got him back. I can take you into the Bible and show you how he's a man that understands grief. So when you've lost something and you've lost somebody, do you know that there's a high priest in heaven that when you say, Lord, I don't know if you understand how I feel, he will turn around and answer you. Do I understand? I've walked where you walked. I was in a fleshly body. I was a human man and yet God at the same time. There They beat me. They spat on me. They called me names. They said I did miracles by the 
devil. They said everything I did was fake. I understand what it means to be rejected because the Bible said we have a high priest that is touched with the feeling of our infirmity. So ladies and gentlemen, when you become like the man that goes from the presence of God and he falls down at Jericho, will you understand there is somebody by the name of Jesus who can pour in the oil and pour in the wine. Woo, hallelujah, from the front to the back of this house. Now let me, let, me, let me wrap this up. In Joel 2.25, God said, I will restore to you the years. How, how much have you lost? How much have you lost on your detour? How much time have you lost? How many months and years have you lost where you could have been in God's will and you weren't? You could have done something about it and you didn't. You could have made a, a, a difference, but you didn't. How, he said, I love this, I will restore to you the years that the canker worm, the caterpillar, the palmer worm, and the locust has eaten. Restore is the Hebrew word shuv or shub, and it means call again, bring back home, bring back again. I will restore, I'll bring back, I will bring back the years. Huh. This word here, to restore to you the years, is a different Hebrew word than is commonly used. It is the Hebrew word shalom, not shalom. It's two different words. Shalom means to make amends, to finish or to make restitution. I will make amend. Redeem the time. Talk to me somebody. That's been lost. <laughs> Do you understand that the favor of God. Can bring back to you. In five minutes. What you lost in five years. I would rather have. I would much rather have the favor of God than the popularity of man. Because men are fickle. Jesus wouldn't even trust him because he knew what was in their heart. You're the hero one day. You're, you're kicked out the next. Look at football coaches. Win three national championships. You're the greatest man in the world. Have a losing season. They want to throw you out. They forget. People forget. Jesus is faithful. I'm going to give you five things in two minutes. Number one, recognize if you've missed the will of God. If you believe you missed it, recognize it. And tell God, God, I believe I've missed this somewhere. I've missed it. Number two. Repent for any failures that led you that way. If, if, if something led you into a direction away from God that puts you out of God's will, confess that before him. Number three, return to your original faith and return to your first love. The book of Ephesians, Jesus said, I, I, I have something against you because you've left your first love. Your first love being Jesus is your desire for him, your desire to be in his presence, your desire to be in his house, your desire to pray and read the word of God. And it's easy for believers to get so busy that we fail. Look, I study 10 to 15 hours a day, but I don't pray 10 to 15 hours a day. And sometimes I feel the Holy Spirit saying, you need to get in your car and just go pray. And not just about sermons, not just about what I'm going to preach. And we can do it so easy, so we have to return to the first love. Number four, we, we have to unite with people who are good people that care about us. One of the biggest things that will happen when a person is falling is they'll quit going to church and quit hanging around people that they know could tell them, don't do that. Watch it now. Watch what I'm saying. So in other words, hey, Bill, where have you been for the past five weeks? Well, just been busy. No, you haven't been busy. Quit lying, Bill. You're going to hell for lying. You're lying. You, ask, you just told a lie. You know the reason you're not going to church is you're out there hanging out with the wrong crowd and you don't want somebody correcting you for it. 
So you're going to run from people who love you the most. Can I tell you something? Don't ever run from people who love you the most. Never run from them. If they look at you and rebuke the fire out of you for being stupid, saying something stupid, doing something stupid, then receive that. Receive that. I tell you a true friend. I'm going to use this as an example. Robert James and I have known each other 30 years. They've only gotten three fights and almost killed each other in one of them. See? No, we, we've got in arguments always over a situation that we're dealing with, how, we're, how I'm dealing with people, how I'm handling something. And you know something? Three times he was right. I hate to say that. I, I do not want to say that. I really don't want to say that. But he, they, my staff knows me. If I go off on you and I have misunderstood something or I have an opinion of something, it will not be before the day ends. And Pam will always say, let him, let him cool off. He's like a whipped dog. He'll be back. That's what she tells him. He'll be back. But do I not always go and say, I was wrong? You always, ha- you know why? You know why I love them? Because they can tell me how they feel, and I know that they're not saying it to be critical. They're saying it because they're protective of me. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? You people, the people who love you are really trying to be protective of you. Look, young people, I've got to say this real quick. I've got one more thing to go, and I'm done. But. Young people, let me say something to you. When your parents are saying to you, don't do that. Don't reject it because they might have been where you've been. Can I tell you, young people who are here some, you ain't heard all your parents' testimony. You don't want to hear all your parents' testimony. Mama keeps talking about that bad guy you're dating. Mama probably dated a bad guy and had an experience to tell if she would tell it, but she's not going to tell it because she's too embarrassed to tell it, and it's under the blood. Y'all better thank God. For under the blood. I'm going to preach a message one of these days called under the blood. Right? But the point I want to make is this. I don't know who this is for. I'm, I'm, I'm pressing this a little longer than I want, but this is for somebody here. Never run from people who are spiritual people and praying people who really care about you. Because they are going to be the ones who show up when you're down and put in the oil and the wine and pick you up. When you have fallen by the wayside. And the final thing I want to share with you real quick is this. Ready? Revive any dead vision or dream that is in your spirit that you know came from God. Go back, go back originally to the visions and dreams and realize they're not dead just because they haven't happened. That's for somebody here. When the thief on the cross is dying... He's a broken man. He's a thief and a robber. He is an associate to Barabbas, which was the man that was released. Now, if I were to say to you, dismember that, that means to take it apart. Dismember all of that. Take it apart. Pack it up. Take it apart. If I were to say to you, remember, we think it means recall. But let's just do a little simple basic study here. A thief is on the cross. He's totally messed up. This is for someone here. His life is messed up. He's coming to the end. He looks at someone he's heard about for many years who's named Jesus, and he believes that this is the Messiah. Here is a thief who believes he's a Messiah, and the religious crowd didn't. And he says to Jesus, remember me. Now, I know what that means. When you get in the kingdom, think about me. But if we look at the word dismember, he has been dismembered his entire life. He's at, the, he's at the last part of his life where everything about him is just totally tore up. And I want to say it this way. When he said, remember me, he wasn't just saying, don't forget me when we're dead. He was saying, 
could you put me back together again in your kingdom? Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are blessed.